Hi, and welcome to this episode of Let's Talk Data. In this episode, we'll be discussing the importance of knowing where your data is. Uh, obviously, it has some legal and security aspects, but going into this discussion, or after a while, we, we kind of come to the conclusion that it's so much more. It's uh, actually laying the foundation for future innovation. And uh, how to get there is uh, a big question in this episode. With me discussing and actually being the experts in today's episode is Grant Keeley, Chief Technologist at NetApp, Hendrik Niemenen, Global Principal Architect at Equinix, and the CTO Proact Persedin. I hope you'll learn as much as I did listening to this, and I hope you enjoy the show. So it's my first day as an IT manager. There hasn't been any good handoff because the old IT manager was, you know, he's down with COVID. And uh, my first mission uh, from the CEO is to map where all the, our data is and, uh, you know, give a report to him about where is it, what is it, and uh, does it comply to all the different laws and rules that we have. So Grant, where, where should I start? Wow, you've got a big task on your hands. Let me tell you that the uh, the old IT manager made a good decision there by going off field and leaving that challenge to you. Um, I think you've got a few challenges. You've got the classification challenge. Uh, you've got the kind of location challenge. Where is the data? Mm -hmm. uh, and then you've got the challenge of how many copies of it are there? How many backups? There's just, it's all over the place. I mean, I personally, I think you start at two different levels. You start at the business level in terms of trying to get the data classified so you can mm -hmm. understand how important it is. And then you start at the infrastructure level, looking at where could the data be? And that includes cloud as well as on-premise. So a lot of different options and starting places there. You really, I think, have to come at it from both sides and try and meet in the middle uh, from my perspective. Mm. What you say, yeah, it's very interesting what you're saying about the different clouds as well, because we're, we're in a world where we promote and we realize that most customers that we talk to also actually, for real, look into multi-cloud and using resources and functions and SaaS applications as well, uh, both here and there. And uh, that that's a definite challenge. Uh, Pad, do you have any comments? Well, well you know, uh, I, I guess it's your, your it's your first day in the office as the new IT exactly. manager. So so maybe you shouldn't do what I'm telling you to do right now because you, I think you should push back and tell dear Mister or Mrs CEO, you know, what, what's our policy? You know, how does it look like? You know, do we have a policy in place for our data? And, and and how does it look like? And by the way, have we enforced it? You know, so have we had IT and the development teams and you know the business? Have they been following this? You know, have they been talking about this? Do you, have you had lawyers involved in doing this, or have you had or have you had actually you know sections of your business going rogue? You know, and actually doing things outside the control of IT because IT was perceived to be too slow and too old. You know. I mean, so yeah. so is has there been is there a policy in place, and have that policy been followed? You know, you might get fired, you know, the first day by asking that question because most likely the answer is probably not fully. You know, things have happened. There has been business reasons for it. You know, people are eager to get things done. So most likely you you're you're inheriting some type of mess. And so you, you need to get starting somewhere, you need to get practical. So, so, but you, you absolutely have an interesting task on your hand because you're trying to capture things that has already happened. And it mm. is really hard. And data classification, 
as, as Grant mentioned, you know, it's, it's not an IT task, really. It is a business question. You know, what, what mm-hmm. type of information do you have? You know, how important is it? Uh, do you have some specific laws that affects this data? That should be part of a decision where you eventually put your data. It's very likely that your organization, like most other organizations, hasn't really followed that. But uh, <clears throat> you need to get going. Perhaps talk to the business people, to developers, say, okay, where are we? What have we done? What type of public cloud SaaS services do we have, etc.? So, so get a picture of it. Because you were probably not saying we have a super rigid policy in place. Everyone has followed it. This is, this is the map, you know. You probably mm-hmm. need to chase it in different places, would be my guess. Right, exactly. So, so uh, mapping and classifying what data and how, um, you know, uh, what data levels or how um, important the data is. But but also the, the rules are asking. changing. You know, the, the the world is changing. It's not it's not standing still. You know, because you know, just a couple of months ago, we had a new ruling on the on the you know the the privacy. Uh, policies for data, GDPR versus Cloud Act, you know, so suddenly we mm. have some rulings in, in courts in, in Europe, you know, so so the world is is changing. So what you did in the past might not be correct for the future, but you, you have to in, in some way try to identify where it is and what type of data, and, and that's going to mm. be quite a big task. But really, it, it's, a, it's a work, it's a job that surrounds, you know, it's about control, right? But to get that control, you first have to do all these things, um, and and maybe some. Uh, Grant, you were no. I was just going to say you could be a little bit flippant and say, "Well, can we ask our chief data officer these questions?" And have <laughs> so if you have one, if you have one, precisely. Well, well, you should. What right? That, that's part of the law. Well, GDPR. It, it, it's not to have a chief data officer. It's to have a data protection officer, a DPO, I think okay. they call it. So there has to be somebody who's assigned as the responsible person. They're not necessarily the person who's uh, internally responsible for classification and for knowing where the data is. They're just responsible as a point of contact if you need to be fined or otherwise brought to task on you know, data breaches and also reporting data breaches. Usually the most disposable person at the company, I guess. <laughs> it's one of those jobs, I think, until you're needed, you've got very little to do. But once you're mm. needed, you're in real trouble. So You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you don't have control. They're not actually responsible for, the, for, for ensuring the data is secure and efficient. They're there to report. Uh, the business is responsible for that. So it's a bit of a difference. Mm-hmm. So Henrik, what, what's your take on this uh, work for Equinix? Yes, I work for Equinix, so, uh, so we look at more at uh, how do you connect to the data as well, which we think are very is, is very important. So a lot of the companies that we talk to and we start to go into the same kind of conversations, though, okay, which clouds are you using, which regions? And that's not always clear in the organizations. I mean, I'm sure there's somebody who knows, but when depending on which part of the organization you talk to, so are we using AWS or Azure? Okay, which region? Uh, how do you connect to this? Uh, sometimes it's over an internet VPN. Sometimes it's through a network provider. Sometimes it's through a company uh, or as an SI partner. So I would say it's very important to understand also how do you connect and then also how does your data interact? Are you having any cloud-to-cloud peering going on? Because if you don't know how you connect in between those, it, it can be very hard to optimize for certain applications. So it's definitely a huge task to if you get into into a new organization and you have no history on how things has been done. And um, 
as, as Pa said as well, uh, is the business that drives it. So what is your go-to cloud strategy or what is your digitalization strategy? Why are you going to the cloud and why mm. are you choosing specific clouds? But I think if this is not in place, I mean, if you don't have, you know, the classification, the strategy, you know, I, th I think it's also a golden opportunity for you as a new item manager to come in and say, maybe these are some of the things we actually need to do. You know, we, we, we need to put some policies in place. We, we need to have this under some type of control. And, and because we, we need to be able to, you know, place um, uh, functions, applications in, in the correct uh, depending on your know, technical needs, cost, you know, legal stuff, you know, we, we need to be able to put them in the right place. You know, so you need to have the right architecture for, for actually being able to create your multi-cloud. And it's, it's a lot of it is about networking. So, so I think there's also an opportunity. I mean, you, you and you probably won't find answers to all your questions, you know, because you, you have a legacy, you have a history. And, and maybe you will not find out everything. So, okay, let's, the, it is what it is, perhaps. And, and, and we take it as it comes. Uh, but start, start from now saying, okay, if we start doing things in a correct way, and this is not about just IT controlling things. I think that, that might be one of the problems, you know, that IT is trying to do it their way with their processes that like they always done it. I mean, that, that is one of the reasons for, you know, rogue IT or shadow IT happening. Uh, so, so you need to, to build in this flexibility that you, you could, depending on, on the requirements, you could place the application in the, in the correct place with control, but don't kill speed and innovation, you know. And that, that's a very interesting task to try to combine structure, control, protection of your data, following the laws or, or your customers' requirements or your internal requirements. At the same time, provide the flexibility. So, so this, so I think fundamentally, start with some type of structure, some type of policy. But technically, you need you need to Henry's point. You know, you need to be able to connect to all these different places where you most likely want to consume IT. And it's probably going to be a mix of internal consumption, internal production of IT, and external um, resources for IT operations, IT production. Yeah, they do say, I was reading a report by IDC, they have a global datascape uh, survey, which they do. And they were saying that only 10% uh, of data is actually unique. The remaining 90% is actually copies, transformational co versions of it, back, you know, all of this type of data. So even when you've managed to classify what you think is the, the bulk of it, that's the 10%. You've then right. got to work out the lineage and the roots and the cop and everything else which sits across the networks. So yeah, connectivity is key to that, but also um, even beginning to understand how that data flows and the lineage that sits uh, and the transformation that may have happened. You know, It's a nightmare. There's so much data to try and get under control. And I think GDPR was a great exercise for a lot of companies because it actually forced them to start looking at that, which they'd never probably done before. Uh, and I think that was actually quite a good net side effect, if you like, of the regulation was the fact it forced people to get their house in order and to put that kind of uh, inspection on, on the data that they hold and why they hold it as well. But, but right. there's also another aspect, you know, it, it, it can, it, and, and I think you, you as a new item manager had to be a bit careful because it, it might be too much of the, you know, control and secure and, and you know, it being able to recover. I mean, it, it is important. But it is kind of boring because I, th I think part of your sales pitch, why, why people should care about, I mean, if you know where your data is, you know, and, and what type of data it is, then you, you are preparing yourself for what everyone wants to do. You know, you, you want to analyze your data, you want to draw some type of business value out of your data, you know, but then you need to know what it is. You need to be able to access it. You need to be able to 
maybe clean it up for for you know more advanced type of analytics of your data you know so so that so there might also be a positive business spin that you should put on this one this is not just a burden this is not just a cost you know this will actually bring potentially tremendous value to the organization so that could be part of how you sell in a product like this because people are going to be bored crazy if you say i need to have everything under control you need to report to me follow the policy people go like i don't have time i need to get my business done i need to sell this i need to develop this product yeah but well you should not break the law but there's tremendous value in actually understanding and knowing what your data and try to draw some business conclusion out of it mm. but i believe that's that's the foundation if you're going to go after this was the saying when it came out that the data is the new gold or the new oil or the new yeah. oil yeah. but if you don't know what data you have where you have it how you're going to mine it so you can't bring out any value out of it it's just going to take up storage space for you mm. Yeah. So this this right. is the very boring basic part of AI, isn't it? You you need to understand your data, where it is, how you how you actually access your data in, in a safe manner, and how you maybe you 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 know you you connect different types of data in into a project. But without the basics, you, you you probably can't do the cool stuff that everyone is talking about: AI, machine learning, deep learning. You know, this this is the fundamental pieces. And my advice would be try to connect those type of projects, but which I'm sure you have in your company, digital innovation, you know, industry 4.0, AI, whatever, whatever it is, you know, you're saying, okay, by to be able to do this, we, we actually need to have things under a bit control. And to have it under control, you need we need to be able to monitor it, we need to be able to manage it, we need to be able to access it. And the, the fundamentally that is connecting these different pools of applications and data to each other. Right, and and get you know uh, one great helicopter view that is constantly updated from that, if possible. Ideally, uh, yes. <laughs> that, that, that only works, unfortunately, for some industries. I know in finance, um, a lot of the customers I've talked to, that's a big issue. Is they'd love to have that helicopter view across all their data, but actually they can't because of regulations, because of confidentiality. So it puts another layer of um, complexity onto how do they how do they do that to gain advantage, but still respect the regulations and laws which they have to around about segregation of data and stuff. So there's a, I think that's why the classification and the ability to have, I don't know, uh, metadata assigned to the data almost, so that you're aware of what you can and can't do with different data sets and how they can be used together and how they can't. Uh, it's, it's a kind of a it's a very sensitive subject in the finance industry anyway. But, uh, mm. A lot of sensitive subjects uh, within the finance industry, uh, I guess. Uh, I don't know if that's a preconceived, uh, uh, you know, thought from my side. Where, uh, you know, they usually, if it's not you know fintech, uh, they have most of the data in the same place anyway, just because this is uh, such a big issue for them. To, um, you know, they're not allowed to have sensitive data in in that cloud or that cloud or outsourced or. Or in, but I wouldn't really know. That's my view of the things. Uh, is that yeah, correct, Grant? That, that's changing, actually, because um, there are a few banks in the UK. I think one's called Oak, Oak North, and they were given permission to deploy in AWS. So their data okay. is in AWS. So, But it, in the same country, then? Yeah, or, I mean, sovereignty is an important factor in that respect as right. well. But, um, but actually, sovereignty, although people say, well, the cloud, you don't know where your data is. Actually, you do, because you pick a region, you pick a data center, and that's where you deploy your infrastructure and data into. So it's not actually not as hard. What's harder, I suppose, is knowing 
uh, what type of data you're storing and and the compliance aspect that you have to take, cons- you know, and how you regulate and bring the the requirements of GDPR and, uh, you know, if it was CCPA in California or whatever it happens to be, how you control what people are storing and how they're storing it. That's the kind of the bigger challenge, I think. I think the cloud in general is not, it's probably the most secure data center anybody could ever deploy in. They spend billions. The only problem is they then give the users the keys to that data center effectively, and that's where it can all go wrong. Uh, so I think the cloud's good, a good and bad destination. I don't think it's an impossible one for data now, but it still needs all the enterprise controls wrapped around it that you would do if it was your own data center. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, that's not what we're saying. I mean, I mean, are you using the public cloud? Well, you probably are, uh, most likely. Will you use it going forward? Of course you will. But the, the, the issue is a bit more complicated. I mean, the last few years we talked about, you know, the, the physical placement of data. And, and that is important because it might solve certainly some of the technical challenges, you know, latency and, and, and speed of light. Um, but now we're talking more about you know, the legal placement of data. That is also something you have to consider. Is that an issue or not? Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. It's just something that you need to consider. So, so absolutely, you, you're going to have, and that, that's why we talk about this connectivity between your multi-cloud. You know, you, you're going to have a mix, uh, and, and you, you need to have the ability to place a workload in your own data center at, at, at the local uh, service provider uh, using a colo uh, and and um, in the public cloud you, you you're most likely going to have a mix of all three you just need to get your mix right from from a financial because i think we only learn we are kind of in the second wave of, of the public cloud you know a few years back it was going to solve everything it's going to save you money you're going to make you more innovative you know it's going to drive a digital transformation I'm sorry, it's not that easy, unfortunately. So you, you have also, you absolutely have the cost aspect. You know, is, is the public cloud cheaper or more expensive? Well, it depends on what you're going to do. Uh, and, and secondly, you know, can, can you get innovation out of the public cloud? Well, you can, but you need, you need to be quite innovative and skilled yourself to really tap into these uh, really cool application development or analytics platform. But you, you need your own skills to, to do something with it. And and so so there are, there are, you know there are many many aspects of this and I think we are in a maturity second maturity phase the second phase of the public cloud you know we we understand more what it is when it works when it doesn't work you know and recently you know the the illegal placement of data is just another parameter you you need to think about it's not the only one and it won't stop you from using the public cloud you just need to have it there is it important is it not well you and your business and probably your lawyers need to answer that one. Uh, but I think you should do it before and not as we are trying to do now, Nick, or you try as a new item and you try to catch up what's been done in the past, you know, and that is much harder than actually having a plan and try to follow the plan and, yes. and agree on this is how we do it. But don't don't give the perception that you are slowing things down, that you're killing innovation. I think you should look at it the other way around, saying, you know, by, by doing this, we can actually make things faster. By having you know this this process in place, by having this multi-cloud connectivity, all of that in place, we can actually increase the speed of new ideas and, and bringing them to life. Whatever it is you, you're going to do as an organization. Right. So from uh, if we skip the legal perspective, which we really can't, but if we could, uh, <laughs> I was you know one of my questions were was also, you know, who cares? Why should I care about where my data is as long as the applications work and we're innovating and everything and so on, right? 
but it's it's about not only loss it's about also you know cleaning your storage so they can find things when and also become more innovative and faster and effective because you you can use and access all these things uh, your data in a more sufficient manner perhaps yeah right, and there's I, also the cost to what pear said you know the cloud is people assumed it would make things cheaper actually it's probably the opposite you know unless you're looking at the, the thin edge of agility which could be cheaper effectively i think you really have to understand where your data is because if you're pushing it into areas of your environment that are more expensive and you're not controlling that then you'll get a very big bill at the end of the day the data center you knew what you were spending because you were placing the orders up front for capex type of purchases as you go to the cloud and that operational kind of opex model comes into play you really have to have more control over where the data is how many copies developers are cloning off to do testing and dev and all of this stuff because you pay for every single byte and bit that you store in the cloud you know whereas on premise that would be controlled in the cloud it's not often so i think it is important that you also have that operational control over both on-premise and the cloud environments to be able to right. to do it from a cost perspective, if nothing else, but then obviously the security and legality and, mm -hmm. and other things as well. Well, Grant, I know that you, you often uh, at NetApp talk about this data fabric of yours. Is that is that mediating this uh, in any way? Yeah, it's, I mean, you know, we, we think of when you're doing when you're delivering IT, you're delivering first of all, how do you manage, control, protect, secure the data, make sure it's compliant? That's what the data fabric's about. And it's not about just doing it in the data center. It's about extending that capability across all of the public clouds consistently so that you don't have to create silos of data management every time and also open yourself to risk and to gaps and to things that have been forgotten. Then when you couple that, I think, with the network layer from the likes of Equinix in terms of accessibility, you then get into this idea of, and I think we've talked about it in the past, about creating a cloud fabric, which is really pulling together the components of data, the data layer, the connectivity layer, to then provide that data service that can be consumed by applications and by the business. So yeah, the data fabric, as we talk about it, is all the things you would look at from an enterprise perspective around data management, business continuity, disaster recovery, security, protection, etc., but extending that across the public clouds as well. And that's what we really mean, doing that consistently, breaking down those management silos and reducing the cost as well, because that's, as you push to the cloud, that can be one of the biggest factors that, that people have, you know, struggle with. Right, exactly. So, so independent of what cloud, what uh, hardware uh, on-prem data center uh, you have, uh, one data fabric in that case, but with Equinix, as the connectivity provider. Tell me more about that, Henrik. Uh, yeah, sure. So um, if I go back a little bit and looking at um, knowing where your data is and all that, and if, so referring to some, a lot of the conversations I had is and, and trying to understand why is it such a fragmented approach to using clouds in enterprises today? And I think that goes back to the, the early cloud strategy, which basically just stated cloud first in a very simple way. So basically just means that as long as you put it in the cloud, you don't need to have these very difficult approval processes. So you have one department who puts it in, I don't know, AWS Ireland. Next team, they're using um, Azure in Amsterdam. And then they're using a database of Oracle Frankfurt. And we have a new team that, though, we have uh, Google now, if you're from a Nordic perspective, in, in Hamina, Finland, that's closest to us. So we want to be there. And now you start to look at it. 
we could actually join a lot of these projects. We can benefit, we get leverage on, on the best of breed cloud applications that we have until you try to connect all this, which is across Europe. And now all of a sudden you have a bit of a challenge there. And so what, what we try to do from Econix point of view, if you have something um, we term as the interconnection-oriented architecture, so rather than showing network at it to connect things, since we have the clouds in our data center, they have the edge nodes in our data centers, so that's kind of like the on-ramp points for it. So you can interconnect directly into them and you get a lot more efficient networking and simple networking between clouds. You just need to have a control point in the middle. However, if you have distributed your clouds across Europe, well, you still have a distance issue there and you won't get the latency down. So you have to have a plan on how you're going to use the clouds, where you're going to use it. We can still provide you an environment where you know exactly what your latency is from your control point to Ireland, to Amsterdam, to Hamina. But that's only how far you can optimize it. From there, you have to start to look at moving loads next to each other if you want to have this real ultra-low latency between applications. Right, and, and well, I think also an, another thing on on networking because w when we look at you know uh, when we started connecting into public cloud you know uh, with fiber connections a few years ago with with, with ProAct and with our customers you know the networking piece is the one that takes the longest time. It is technically hard. Very often you take the networking cut. <clears throat> well, we we connect, we are done. It is technically very hard. It's a quite tedious process. So what we are doing and working very hard is to make sure that we try to virtualize and automate the, the networking space, meaning that we, we can, we can, in a programmatic way, connect between a customer's data center or a product data center hosted in an Equidix colo um, to, to the public cloud. We can all connect them together in an automatic way. You know? So we're looking at the, the virtualization of networks and the automation of networks and makes them programmable because I think because this can take weeks and weeks and weeks. You know, it, it sounds like two clicks, but it's usually not. So some of the things we are doing together with NetApp and Equinix, you know, we, we try to make the networking piece, which is really hard uh, to make that fast and easier for, for everyone. You know, so that, that, there is a lot of and I would say this this is work in progress. You know, we we're right now launching our SD Vaughn solution as a service, you know, so there are, which makes the whole connectivity uh, programmatic and, and automated. But it, it, it is a step-by-step -step approach. This is quite tricky. Uh, and uh, don't underestimate the, the complexity and the time it takes to set up your data center to something else. And I know with, with um, things that is built in, in the in the Equinix colos, you know, that that could speed things up but also we, we have a lot of customers saying we don't really want to do it ourselves we can't be experts on everything so can can we buy this piece as a service we're looking at you know networking uh von sd von as services as well so because so you don't have to do it yourself if you don't have the time and skills to do it so the networking and, and i think the networking is actually getting even more interesting because your, your whole data center architecture, and I think I don't want to make your life too hard as a new IT manager, but you, you have more things. We talked about you know, your, your own data center with your own production, and you have that. You have local service providers like ProAct and others, so you can have some local people helping with certain workloads. And of course, you have the public cloud, but you have a fourth one, which is in general called the edge meaning that you, you will have data generated, a lot of kind of machine generated data, sensors, um, 
things like you know healthcare devices like the Apple Watch is, is an early example of something I think a, a revolution happening in, in in the in the healthcare industry. So and and depending on what you do, you 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 will start having sensors, devices generating data, probably machine generated data, probably log data, and they can be anywhere, and there are going to be many of them. So so you have a fourth one, and this is your new data center architecture. It is your own kind of production in your data center. It's colos, it's public cloud, but it's also any type of edge devices. IoT is certainly part of edge, but on general terms. And the edge is going, to con- it's going to actually have a lot of your data going forward. You know, IDC, Gartner, they say somewhere between 20 to 50%, which is a wide range, I know, of your data is going to be generated, stored, and possibly analyzed on the edge, meaning that you need to have that one under control as well. And that's a very interesting uh, extension of your data center. So so view the edge as part of your data center because you need to have it under control. You need to protect the data. You need to be able to manage the data and you probably need to be able to recover the data. And you're certainly going to have security issues when you have edge devices of you know temperature sensors, two million of them. You know, how do you control those? Some of the data is going to be sent to you, to your data center for analysis, some is going to be sent to public cloud, some is actually going to be processed on the edge. I guess the best example of processing on the edge is probably the self-driving car, where, where you, of course, you create the algorithms, but you, you have to make the processing in the car itself to take an action. Am I going to break or not break? You can't connect it over a 4G network and have your data center figure it out and then send it back. It's going to happen in the device itself. So the, probably the most advanced one with the most media attention is, is obviously self-driving cars, which I think technically is probably a dead end, but it's a cool start. There, there's going to be so much more. And personally, I think you know the health sector, you know those types of devices is, is one on top of my list for, I think, a possible revolution in, in that space. But whatever industry is, you know, you go, you're going to be having edge devices of very different flavors. And you have to take care of those. You have to manage those. And the networking is coming back as the fundamental building block again. Because if you can't connect them, if you can't manage them, how are you going to know? Exactly. And there's where SD-WAN comes in, right? That, that is yeah. one. And Wi-Fi as a service. And actually, one more. 5G networks, whenever they launch, you know. They might be your connectivity between your data center and your public cloud might actually be 5G networks in the past, but they still have to be secure, they still have to be managed, you know. So, so there's going to be so there's going to be un- different underlying transports, but you have to manage it. So SD-WAN is more like a like a management and automation level on top of different type of networking protocols. Um, Wi-Fi, um, public internet, 5G, you're going to have different flavors of them actually. Mm. So it's a really cool, challenging, interesting future. And this is something you, you need to start architecting for because when we look at RFP now for new data centers, we actually start to ask questions, how do you actually manage the edge? And sometimes the, maybe the customer doesn't really know what the edge is yet, but it is coming and they're starting to prepare for it. So, so it, it's another just cool extension of what, what's happening in the world. And the networking and the management of the networking and the, I think management of your data are the key fundamentals, of course, security as well, because you don't want to get hacked through an, an edge device into your data center, do you? That, that, and that, is that going to happen? You bet. Yeah, imagine those uh, DDoS attacks. 
entry yeah. point from from a temperature sensor you know i mean uh, mm. that that it, is that going to happen i think it is happening already to be honest oh yeah yeah i've certainly uh, had conversations with smart cities companies who are looking at data at the edge retail companies who data is at yeah. the edge for a lot of them and 5g is one answer but as somebody pointed out if you've got lots of sites connecting with 5G, we haven't got the internal bandwidth at the back end, at the fan end, to be able to cope with all the data that they could send back. So there's still a big requirement for pushing that data fabric out to the edge to allow aggregation, real-time processing there and metadata coming back rather than raw data. Uh, and we certainly see that in, actually, you know, we see it in all sorts of industries, even things like uh, motor racing, a lot of the data that's captured from sensors on racing cars and bikes and stuff is processed at the racing track. It's used at the racing track, but there's still a flow of data back for the design centers and for maintenance and auto, you know, other things uh, that needs to be done. So it's very interesting, I think, from a data perspective, is that your landscape, your fabric has to extend all the way across both the edge as far as you can towards the sensor uh, and equally across the data center and the cloud as well. I think it's uh, it's important that you provide all the same capabilities of protection, security, processing capability at all of those different locations. So. Well, absolutely. I mean, security, if, there, if, you, if you put security at a certain level on everything except one part of the puzzle, then you've kind of not done your security homework exactly and, and once again nico i mean you as a new it manager you know this is should not be perceived as a problem it is a technical challenge for sure uh but this is this gives your business new opportunities depending well, on you your, know, your industry yeah. this this can this can connect you know this could provide you with new services you know new solutions you know more profit for your owners you know by, by utilizing these things you, you, you as it manager you, you need to start putting the bits together you, you need to start laying the foundation for this to make it happen right you know after after this talk i feel like uh, the it manager nico uh, is longing for for control. Uh, it's like uh, cleaning up your your basement uh, storage room, just you know, so you can put more stuff in there. Yeah, it's very hard work, but satisfying when you're done. Uh, yeah, control, exactly. but not the what what is in England, not the roadblock. You know, don't stop innovation projects. Just make sure that they run as smoothly and as safely and securely as you possibly can. But don't don't forever, for God's sake, don't stop them. Work with the developers. Work with the data scientists to, to create these things. And, right, you, uh, and you, wanted... you're going to be looking at different skills from from your IT resources as well. You know, you, you're going to be looking at that you have. Um, resources that have development backgrounds in IT operations as well you know because you need that because you need to you need to understand a new application environment because this is this is all connected to new types of applications uh, developed in a different way containerized type of applications and you need to understand the, the programmability of infrastructure the automation of infrastructure so so you need uh, re IT resources trained or hired that have development background but still, of course, an interest in infrastructure and IT operations. Otherwise, they will don't care about So, so that's an interesting, um, I will say, opportunity slash challenge for, for you as an IT manager. You know, do you have the right talent to train? Uh, do you do you need to hire different types of resources because um, the the the, the um, application development, the, the programmability of everything, uh, probably needs a different skill from from what you from most of IT managers or IT operations have currently. It's the DevOps kind of uh, philosophy, isn't it? Really, you have to be both a developer and an operator in order to really yeah. properly 
And actually, I think um, AI ops is another interesting area that's coming in as to how do you, the complexity is obvious. How do you bring self-management, automation, AI to help you manage and control that as the scale of data management starts to grow exponentially? I think those topics uh, are really important as well. They're the kind of the future edge of how do we get this under control and, you know, keep it that way for the poor IT manager who, you know, who thought the job was going to be easy and then discovered it's actually much more expensive than he realized. Yeah. Yeah, So having your data under control is the first step to actually, you know, prepare for the edge and prepare for potential AI ops uh, projects that are coming. And uh, suddenly this topic became much more wide than than uh, I first thought, but that's very interesting. <laughs> and uh, and uh, avoid disasters as well, ob obviously, you know. I know it's a bit boring and nobody cares until it happens, but try to avoid disasters. Uh, right, right here, right now, 10 of the largest corporations in Sweden are, are currently under a ransomware attack. Happening right here, right now on Friday, December, uh, sorry, Friday, November the 13th, you know, so. How, how do you know? It's in the media, but okay, I don't. Okay. I, I don't know. I don't know who they are. <laughs> <laughs> okay. and, and as far as I know, knock on wood, it's not one of our customers. But um, as far as I've heard, but it's but it's a common it's a common theme, you know. So so and what was the entry point of um, those attacks? Mm. And did did you even see them coming, or were they there so for a, a while? So. So control over data is also a foundation of great security then? Yeah. Mm, it's super important. It's one of those things with ransomware in particular, you can try and stop it getting in, which is which is border security, and that, that's hard in itself. And then the other aspect, which we kind of build into a data fabric, is recoverability if you have been attacked and detection of that as it happens. Uh, you need both elements, really. A, to try and stop it happening, and then B, to be able to recover because the trouble with ransomware is you can be locked out of your business for months if you can't get access to that data set so having the ability to a stop that happening in the first place but then recover and continue from a previous checkpoint and do that rapidly is really important you know and, and obviously with technologies that exist around about data snapshots and, and rollback and you know all of these technologies nowadays it's certainly You'd be surprised at how many organizations don't use that type of technology to help protect against ransomware attacks in terms of recovery. But I think it's essential to build into that data layer across the cloud as well as what's sitting on premise uh, and at the edge as well. And, and, and we've even seen a, a, a number of our customers even taking it a bit further. They, they actually have a, a copy of data and we're using sometimes, it depends on what you have, sometimes it's based on NetApp technologies, sometimes on other technologies. But what you're doing, actually, they take a copy of their business data and then they disconnect it from the outer world. So, yeah. so, so and, and then they connect it, take another copy, maybe a few days or perhaps depends, a few days or a few weeks later, depending on how granny you want to be. And then you disconnect it from the outer world. So there is no connectivity at all. Uh, so that, that's kind of extreme, but that's kind of a lost... I guess you're going to lose some data, whatever was created in between, but mm. at least you're going to get most of it back. Uh, and and we're starting to see those type of extreme solutions, actually, because of ransomware. Sorry, go ahead, Nico. Well, how do you know that the ransomware isn't in that offline duplicate? Well, you know, you, you, you're, going to be, you're going to be storing several generations and they're going to be separated. 
So, so if you had a ransomware attack that you didn't notice, and, and that is most like that is quite high, like something happened right. three weeks back, that yeah. then you need to backtrack, and hopefully you have you have systems and processes in place you can see when did the attack actually enter, and then you have to go back behind that. So, so you need to step, store this for. I think I think most of our customers so far are stalling for several months. So you're able to backtrack to previous generation, you know. And are you going to lose data? Of course you are, but you know you're not going to be losing everything like you might. You you so so. It, I'm not saying it's, it's the only solution. It's just you know the last resort. At least you have a couple of weeks old data, and, and you can recover that one. So you you need to go back before the, the attack actually happened. And then you need to identify the attack, and that's obviously, obviously, you know, modern IT operations need to identify those types of attack. So you know, AI ops, as was mentioned, you know, seam type of, of solutions where you actually you, you need to start tracking uh, anomalies in behaviors and, and funny things happening, you know, and, and you probably need to backtrack as well in say, okay, when this actually occurs. So you know, there, there is no simple, uh, you know bulletproof solution you you just probably need to have more protection in place than you ever had before you know but in the old days you know when i started with proact you know that that's a long time ago we used to have tape we used to store tape you know for years off site and go oh that's tedious you know it takes forever to get back well yeah but you had a copy of your data Hopefully, because sometimes when you read the tape, you couldn't read the data, but in most cases, you could get it back, you know, and, and that was tedious. You won't have it in Snapchat. We won't have it online. We won't get access to it. That, that's what you need from, an, from a business perspective, but from a, you know, just making sure that you at least have a copy of the data. You, we are seeing some extreme measure being put in place. So, so it right. could be, could be yeah. a snapshot, a clone from a Netta filer that we actually take offline. And you can't, you can't, you can't get access to it, you know. So, so that that's kind no. of interesting. What's happening? Yeah, that's important. On. There's all sorts of technologies now, like uh, worm locking snapshots, to ensure that if it can't be modified or deleted maliciously, but also, but the the problem is obviously that as ransomware comes in, it comes in through a channel which has authorized access to the data which it's corrupting, and that's that's the challenge. It's not security doesn't help you because somebody's been breached that have the keys effectively. But it is partly the anomaly detection and partly, as you say, air gapping copies of your data so that you have points, known points, that you can go back to and, re and start to recover from. Uh, and building those capabilities across all the repositories that you store data in that you need to have that capability is really important. Uh, and I think what's obvious from some of the ransomware attacks is that a lot of these organizations don't have those capabilities in place, which is why they suffer such long outages. So, guys, I think we're running out of time, but... I just want to summarize. We started out talking talking about where is my data and is it important to to know where your data is and why. And uh, obviously, that became a very wide topic. Uh, that's the foundation of you know being compliant with different laws. It's the foundation to to be able to you know, go forward in your next gen data center, uh, for instance, uh, looking at edge and uh, AI uh, and so on. It's uh, important for security and not just, uh, you know, knowing where your data is, but also securing your the networking and the communications between all these different areas where your data might be, you know, located in public clouds on your your own data center. Uh, at a partner's data center and so on, and spread around the world, 
in in shadow IT uh, projects, or like we discussed in the last episode about AI, when we said that hey, it's not shadow IT anymore; it's business IT because it's the business that chooses where to go. I like that um, business shadow IT. So it's kind of the foundation of a lot of different things to know where your data is. Do you have anything to add to that? No, I think we, we were going to talk a bit more about that. I mean, the fundamental, to, to make this work, you need a network connecting all of this. Mm. I, th I think that's the fundamental piece, because otherwise you will not control it, you will not be fast enough for the requirements of the business, and, and you will not be able to create this um, mix or multi-cloud, whatever you want to call it. So so the, so the networking is the fundamental piece. And don't underestimate the, the complexity and the time it takes to set up the network, um, especially me as a primarily storage geek, did that in our early experimentation with some of the public clouds. We thought it's just a big green button on the screen. We press it, it's done. No, it was not. You know, this was probably four or five years ago. It's much better today. But it, and and how you set up your network at the public cloud. You know, are you? I think as you said, Grant. You know, the the public clouds are probably one of the most secure places in the world, with some of the most skilled people in the world. But if you mess it up yourself, if you don't patch it or, or you know, you break some of the rules how you set up your network, you're going to be in trouble anyhow. It's not that the public cloud is insecure, it's the other way around. It's the way you utilize it that, that might cause the problem. So so it's uh, so the network and, and the, the flexibility and the manageability of your network is, is the foundation for any type of multi-cloud architecture. And I think added, added, you know, what we can do with, with, with NetApp is not just a network, it's actually also the data on top of it, you know, because if, if you can have that under control, uh, technically, financially, and you can also be able to utilize the tools, internal, external, by, by uh, making sure that you, you have the right copy of the data efficiently in the right place with the data fabric, you, 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 you have a very good foundation. It's not the answer for everything, but you have a good foundation for, for, for what I think you need, Nico, as an architecture. Yeah, yeah I'd agree. I'd agree. I think the, the connectivity is essential, consistency of data management so that you don't open up risk through having different silos uh, i think when you've got those you've got at least the foundation of being able to to do what you need to do as regards data and and, and using it where and when you need it so super hendrik any last words in a positive way <laughs> <laughs> no i can just just uh so a comment i got from one of the the enterprise we worked with um so if you look at the past though, there was a lot of concerns about security in in clouds but they actually turned it around and said that, uh, well, we're not worried about security in the cloud. We are concerned about security of the network. And, and, and that is where I believe that the cloud fabric that we are working together on in promoting where Econis can bring in the, uh, the uh, secure private connection between the resources and clouds. We have the data management from NetApp, and then we have the overall end-to-end -end sort of consultation and architecture from, uh, from Proact. I, th I think it's a very interesting uh, value prop that we have together. Yeah. Very interesting, especially after this talk. Yeah, so Nico, I mean, you don't you don't have to do everything yourself. There, there is help to be had from people like us and others. I think it's very hard to find someone who can do everything themselves. Well, yeah, you can't be good at everything. Uh, so utilize all the different players out there. I hope uh, you know it's been very eye opening for me and probably for a lot of our listeners. Uh, and uh, you might have learned something yourselves, even though you were, you know, top of the line uh, the professionals. Uh, so 
but uh, I want to thank you very much for uh, attending today. And uh, thank you for this very interesting talk about why, where my data is. Thank okay. you. Thank you. And good, good, good luck in a new position, Nico. Uh, oh, thank you, thank you. I'm very happy that it's uh, just fictional. <laughs> in your fictional new position. Yeah, my fictional. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Thank you.